0: So this is Galatians 1:11. Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. You know what I was like when I was followed when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met at that time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I am writing to you is not a lie. After that visit, I went north into the provinces of Syria and Cilicia, and still the churches in Christ that are in Judea didn't know me personally. All I knew was that people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy and they praise God because of me.
1: Thank you, Joseph, for uh, reading that. And um, she was reading out of a notebook rather than the Bible. That's because in October or November, uh, among the students here at Highland, at Fight Club, we challenged the students to hand copy the book of Galatians. And it was from that challenge of hand copying the book of Galatians, like literally looking at their Bible and taking a notebook and just Reading it and writing it and reading it and writing it and then reading it to make sure what you wrote makes sense. And then it's just another way to to get and hide the word of God in our hearts. And so, um, you know, I, I I guess I would challenge you in the next eight weeks to keep with it. Read the book of Galatians over and over and over. Grab commentaries. Listen to sermons. Somebody else smarter and wiser than me is talking about and and, and chew it up and and, and figure out does is the good news really that good? Is the gospel that Paul proclaimed that good? Or am I making it up? Because I would challenge you to just go look at the Word of God and to, and to even ask questions, uh, to write the emails that you have questions in, and that's, and that's great. I would encourage you to do that. But um, with Galatians, I do believe it's a book that has impacted me, and I don't believe I'll be the last person that it will impact uh, because it was meant to uh, cause us to walk in light of what we're reading. It's not just kind of giving us ideas But it's who we are as Christ followers. And so um, last week we started the new series called Shocked. And Paul, the author of the letter's major concern, was found in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 1. And you can read this on the screen. He says, I am shocked. This is Paul talking to the church. He's not talking to people who don't get it. He's not talking to those who are not believers. He's saying, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Paul was taking on the false teachers. And the false teachers were questioning Paul and the message that he was saying. And and the the false teachers were saying that it's not just Christ that saves. You need to obey all the works of the law, too. You need to be following the customs, the traditions of the Jewish people as well. So you need to be, as a Gentile, you need to convert to Judaism. And you need to follow these rules and be circumcised and all this stuff. And we'll talk about that later. I know it's a strange word. And why would we talk about that in church? Because I'm in the wrong church if we're talking about that. So um, the idea is... That the Judaizers were explaining to the church at Galatia that Jesus is not enough, and Paul was saying they are wrong, and I'm furious at them for saying that, and I'm shocked at you for believing them. Uh, And so he continues in this in the first ten ten verses of Galatians that um, there's only one gospel. There are not more than one. There are not multiple good news. There's only one good news. In fact, those other things that are pretending to be good news are not really good news at all. In fact, it's bad news because it means that Jesus and what he has done on the cross is not enough for us and that there are things we need to add to what Jesus has done. So, in fact, it's not good news. It's bad news, and they're pretenders. But in this passage that we're looking at this morning, Paul uses another element to communicate the story. And the, what he, com- what he, what he um, communicates in these next several verses, is that his life, or our life, this is something that you and I can consider, our lives are either a a denial of or a defense for this one gospel. Our lives are either a denial of or a defense for this one good news. And that's really what Paul does in the next several chapters, is he goes, let's look at my life. I'm going to let you see just what... These guys are attacking and what you're walking away from. And so in verses 11 and 12, this is where he starts. And he reminds them. He did this. This is the second time. He's repeating now himself from the first several verses that we looked at last week. Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. Paul is establishing two camps of rescue stories, if you will. He's, he's, he's saying there's, okay, there's, there's these um, gospel messages, little g, gospel messages that did come up in human reasoning. And then he's saying there is a gospel message that does not come from human thought or reasoning. Now, if you consider this, I want to make very clear that Paul is not on an anti-human reason and logic rant here. I want you to hear me clearly that he is not against human reason and logic. And the number of conversations I have had with people who are like, well, I guess to be a Christian I have to abandon all reason and logic, and that's, that, made, that makes no sense. I'm like, that's not at all what Paul is trying to say. In fact, he uses all of those skills, reason and logic, to actually share Christ with people. Over and over and over. Paul is not championing a non-thinking, non-questioning Christianity. But what he is doing is setting God's rescue plan of salvation outside of any plan that man might be able to come up with on his own. So he's saying there are rescue plans that we come up with on our own. And there are rescue plan, a rescue plan that comes from God. So he's not going on an anti-reason and logic tirade. In fact, he uses all those skills. But he is saying when it comes to the matter of saving salvation, that there are human thought-up plans and there is a God-thought-up plan. And here's, here's what I mean by that. Whether or not you know it, everything you and I do is a direct connection with an attempt to save ourselves. How you live... What you go after, what you value, all those things are subtle ways that we try to save ourselves. In high school, I had this, in middle school in particular, I had this fear of being laughed at. And so I enacted Operation Jason Don't Be Laughed At, salvation plan. And that involved laughing at others and making sure that I was laughing at someone else so I was not being directly laughed at. You see what I mean? I mean, we go into these protection modes of how do I save myself? Now, there is the plan, the I don't want to be alone salvation plan. And sometimes when you're in that salvation plan, you get desperate and you do something like this. Are you looking for me? looking for
0: someone. can you be? Someone.
1: Okay, early to bed. Early to rise makes a woman healthy, wealthy, and wise. That's why you're wiser than me. It's Steven. Hi, my name's Monroe.
0: Uh, you've probably already noticed that I have incredibly blue eyes. Okay,
1: um, I like to talk to people uh, deep into the night. I play guitar. I'm
0: Eitan. Hi, I'm Fred. Hi, my name's Mike, and if you're sitting there watching this tape, smoking your cigarette, well, hit the fast-forward button, because I don't smoke, and I don't like people who do smoke. Hi, Mom. Um, (laughs) I do fashion photography, and I do consider myself a refined valley dude. Whoso binds to himself a joy, doth its winged life destroy. At night, I operate a damsel
1: in distress hotline. I guess you'd call me a knight. All right, so it goes on. It's a lot longer than that. Um, But the thing about this is when you get into that I don't want to be alone phase, you get desperate and you'll go on a video dating service and you'll create this profile of yourself and you'll do things that are going to live on YouTube forever. But I mean, seriously though, when we want to enact, enact, do not be alone salvation plan, you do all these things to make sure you don't end up alone. I don't want to be broke. So execute, save self from being broke salvation plan. Education, job, corporate ladder climbed. I don't want to be undervalued. Execute, find value salvation plan. Plug into anything and everything that might cause someone to look at me and say, you are valuable. Parents hard work. I mean all of these different roles that we can take on to find value in is because we don't want to be undervalued or we don't want to be seen as having no value. And so we attempt to save ourselves in this way. I don't want to be a bad person. So execute a real good person salvation plan, humanitarian aid, volunteer, do 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 do. All of these are subtle attempts at us trying to save ourselves from something that we don't want. It's the I do, therefore I get. It's the world's mentality of you make your bed and you lie in it. So obviously, you know, if you're broke, you didn't work as hard as somebody who does have money, when in fact that may not be the case at all. You just may not have had the same break that that person got. So you see, these plans of self-salvation are flawed to begin with. And they'll cause us to do some pretty desperate things. See, these things are not necessarily bad. Desiring not to be alone, not a bad thing. Wanting to have income, not a bad thing. Wanting to be seen as valuable. They're noble things, good things. But when we are looking to be saved or finding our identity in these things, we're operating in what Paul would consider a plan That came up in man's brain because it makes sense to us to do these things. Now, he also addresses a gospel message not based on human reasoning. Paul often reminds both Jews and Gentiles that the way God has chosen to save is different than anything else the world has ever seen. Even this concept has come under attack recently. I mean, there's websites and people popping up all over the place saying, oh, the story of Jesus is just a copycat salvation story from this other story of these mythical and legendary people. Now, here's the thing. If you go to the Internet as your source of information... (sighs) You may be headed in the wrong place, because I know some of you are in here going, you know what? They wouldn't put it on the internet if it wasn't true. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's somebody who sits in an internet office of truthiness and says, Well, some and so's putting up there a blog, and it's gotta be true if it's on the internet. So I better but Martha, I found it on the internet. Apparently, this story about Jesus was a copycat salvation story from some other person centuries before. We've been duped. It's on the internet. Guys, you have to dig. And I'm going to let you do the digging, but we do know, A, that these copycat salvation stories came after Jesus walked the planet, and B, these, this salvation story involves people who really existed and places that really existed. So the thing is, Paul continues to let us know in Acts 17, you can read it. Acts 17, we'll read it right here. If anybody was going to have heard of something as shocking as God himself rescuing sinful people, these people would know. Acts 17, Paul goes to Mars Hill. And while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason, there it is, he's doing it, okay, so please don't tell me that he hated reason, with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. And he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching. You're saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. So if anybody was going to go, up, copycat, heard that one before, Paul, these guys would have said it. But because this was such a strange concept, look at the result in Acts 17 at the very end, 32 and 34. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. This rescue that God has offering people who have run from him, who have chosen other ways than him, is so unlike anything the world has ever seen. And Paul is saying no human brain could come up with it. And it wasn't just in Jesus that this type of rescue was such so, so strange. In Isaiah 55, God unpacks his rescue plan. In Isaiah 55, verses 1 and 2, listen to God's invitation to, to his people. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, it does not make sense in the way we think. Come, take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest foods. Now, in the verses that follow this, um, God is actually speaking to these people who are running from him. He says, you will find life if you turn to me. That you're, He's talking about more of his promises. He's saying that the wicked can turn, run to him, find mercy. He's generous to forgive. And then we get to these very popular verses. In verses 8 and 9, God says it. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. Says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I know we use this verse to try and understand circumstances that we don't get. I I get it. I get people use these verses to say, well, I don't understand the circumstance I'm going through, but God's ways are higher than mine. We're missing the point in that God's rescue plan doesn't work anything like the way we think it should. And it's not just with Jesus. Even in the Old Testament, as He's rescuing people, it just don't make sense. C.S. Lewis said it this way Christianity must be from God, for who else could have thought it up? Like, think about it. What human being can come up with a message of, you know what? We're gross. We're gross. <laughs> and there ain't an amount of work that we can do that can make us good enough to connect with, oh, let's say, mm, God. No human brain comes up with a plan like this. God himself chooses to reveal himself first. And in him revealing who he is, we get a picture of who we are, and we're like, whoa, this is not going to This is not going to happen. But then God says, I will take care of what needs to happen for this to happen. No human brain. And so in Galatians verses 1, 13 through 17, Paul begins to defend this no human reasoning God thought of rescue plan. And he says, he starts to defend it with his own story. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. You see, Paul's name was being attacked by these Judaizers, these people who were coming and telling the Galatian church that they didn't have it all. They needed to add some things to this Jesus, and the way they were doing it was they were saying, remember Paul? Dude's a bad guy. Why would you listen to a bad guy tell you something? You need to remember that Paul was a jerk, (laughs) You need to remember that he was not very nice, and he wasn't this, and he was all these things. And, and Paul begins to, to go into his own story, not to defend himself, but to prove God's grace is real. <laughs> See, that's what's amazing to me about the way Paul decided to reason with the people. It wasn't like he was going, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. I'm really a good dude. He's like, no, 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 they're Right? <laughs> You remember, I told you how badly I persecuted the church. I told you how messed up I was and how I wanted to see Christians squashed. I wanted to see all of this stuff destroyed, but yet something happened. And we saw that the churches were now praising God because the one who aimed to destroy the faith was proclaiming the faith. You know, Paul was somebody who was stubborn. He was locked on what it takes to what he thought worship God. He was zealous for the law. He learned it inside and out. He defended it. He saw Christians as a threat, and it made his blood boil. And he leads with this, saying, Look, these guys who are telling you that I'm, I'm, not, I'm not that good of a dude, they're correct. I'm not. And we see the the dramatic change that so much that his desire changes from arresting Christians to proclaiming the message that these Christians were called to live out. And in verses 1 and 23, you see this. All they knew was that people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Paul at through this encounter with Christ on the road to actually arrest Christians, Christ encounters him. He's knocked off his horse, literally. And the idea of Christ coming to rescue Paul is shocking to the church. Listen to Acts chapter 9. When, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, this is after you know, this encounter with Christ, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. I mean, I think we would do the same thing. Like, for me, I'm a, I'm a Ricky Gervais fan, and I know for some of you, maybe may be like, oh, I can't believe that, Jason. He's so anti-God. Yeah, yeah, he is. I don't agree with him on most everything he says out of his mouth, but I love his comedy. Like, if you like The Office, you like Ricky Gervais, whether or not you know it. But his, he's, he's super, uh, super vocal about his atheistic desires to see humanity walk in reason and logic and, and forget about faith in God and all this different stuff. And it would be the same thing as me hearing rumors on the internet of Ricky Gervais coming to Christ and then him saying, I'd like to come to Asheville and I'd like to come and sit at Highland Christian Church and I'd like to hang out with them. I would be like, so, uh, Ricky... <laughs> Remember how you used to like, make fun of people who believed in God? You're, you're going to do that? Are you going to do that right now? Is that what's going to happen? That's the way the church was like, wait a minute. And, and see, Ricky's just using his words. Paul actually had people put in chains. <laughs> so it's a, it's, a, it's a weak comparison, but in my mind it works. So just track with me for a little bit. But the idea is that the church was going, this is so strange that we're not even sure we want Paul coming. Because this change is too much. This is such a dramatic shift in who he was to who he is now. I don't know if we can get with this. And so Paul uses his life, and ultimately, I believe that Paul was saying, Google me. I've actually met people who say, hey, Google me. Not exactly sure why you'd want me to do that. <laughs> but I mean, there's all these Facebook games, Google your own name, see what comes up, and all that stuff. And you're like, oh, don't, don't Google me, <laughs> But Paul was saying, look, I did this journey. I went to to these places. I talked to these people. You can actually go to these places that I went to. You can talk to these people that I talked to. You can go for yourself and see that what they're saying is true. He was saying, look at my life. Look at my life. It is a defense for the grace of God. Paul goes from church persecutor to church planter, from destroyer of the faith to the loudest declarer of the faith. Paul goes from wanting to kill Christians to being willing to lay down his own life so that someone might experience Christ's rescue. Paul's story is a defense for the gospel that he preached. See, moral and religious performance does not exempt you from a need for rescue, just as deep, dark sin does not exempt you from the opportunity to be rescued. Tim Keller said it this way, the gospel calls us out of religion as much as it calls us out of irreligion. This message of by God's grace through faith apart from works is shocking. Now, um, C.S. Lewis, whom I've already quoted today, you know, Paul mentions the whole thing, before I was born, God set me apart. It does not mean he was a Christian when he was born. But what it means is that God does not waste anything that goes on in our lives. C.S. Lewis was trained by a very strong uh, atheist in the, in the ideas of logic and debate and rhetoric and, um, and trying to convince someone of something and this man saw this skill in C.S. Lewis and began to invest in him and trained him in all of these ways and in hopes that C.S. Lewis would go on to continue to defend this idea of you don't need God, but we have reason and logic and we can understand things with our brains. But in fact, the very tools that this man gave C.S. Lewis became the very tools that C.S. Lewis used to find Christ and in the, in the same process uh, introduce a whole bunch of other people to him as well. This is what it means that God set him apart from the very beginning. That he used these things. He didn't destroy these things and go, now you can't use your brain because you're a Christian. <laughs> Sorry, you're a Christian now. Throw your brain out the door. Can't think. Can't use any of these skills that you've been given when in fact God shaped him for those moments to be used in a way that only Paul could be used to bring that, the gospel to the Christians. God is no waster of intellect God will form brilliant minds that will speak brilliantly about the gospel. Paul is stubborn. Paul is zealous. When he's locked in on an idea, it's God. And Paul was intelligent. He loved learning. He loved arguing a defense for his case. He loved to reason with people about the law. And in the midst of all this, God didn't take any of these characteristics away from Paul. He revealed Christ to Paul. That's the amazing part of the story. That God said, yeah, Paul, you got your skills, but now I'm going to reveal Christ, game changer. Everything that he formed in Paul now had a new focus for the gospel. And that gospel message being defended, and he would give his life for it. See, my children are carbon copies of my wife. They're beautiful and stubborn. Um, Okay, fine, they're beautiful because of her. They're stubborn because of me. I get it. Her and I are both firstborns, so you can imagine, and we have a firstborn, so you can imagine when firstborns get in a room, it's like, game over, you know? (laughs) I know the tendency I have to say, man, I just wish they weren't so stubborn. I just wish they weren't so stubborn. Because I feel like most of our arguments, I'm talking really quiet because Zeke is in the back. Uh, I feel like most of our arguments in our head, Zeke, put your fingers in your ears. (laughs) <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You can hear. <laughs> I feel like most of our arguments wouldn't be happening because if you were so stubborn, you'd just see my way. <laughs> but here's the thing. I've actually started praying, God, would you help my four children remain stubborn on the mercy they found in the cross and that they would never let their lives be influenced in any other way that they would be so stubborn to be locked in on the good news and the mercy found in Christ, that nothing else would come between them and you and him and all of those things. I know that's hard for us as parents now when our kids are stubborn, and I know it may be hard for some of you who are experiencing kids who are using their brains and you just—they like, they're constantly making the wrong decisions. <laughs> and you're like, what in the world? Why are you so stubborn? But what if... What if in those moments that in their stubbornness God reveals Christ to them and that heart that locks in on trying to figure things out figures out the one thing that matters most and they will not be moved by it. Will they be perfect? Absolutely not. But God does not waste anything in our lives. When He reveals Christ everything changes. Now, kind of to finish up Nate and you guys can come on up. Paul used his reason, he used his zealousness for the law to actually reason with the Jews about how all the scriptures point to Jesus. God needed to use this man who would be well-versed in the law, well-versed so much more so than any of his Pharisee buddies that he would be able to communicate to them clearly the things that they missed. But he also used Paul to, com- to, to communicate the good news to the Gentiles who had no clue about the law. He used this man to communicate these very big ideas and things that were communicated in the Old Testament scriptures to the Jews, but he also was able to communicate it in a way to people who had no clue about anything. And that message was the same, that it all points to the finished work of Christ on the cross, and salvation is by faith alone. There's a man named John Bunyan, and I'm not talking about Paul Bunyan and his big blue ox, John Bunyan. He's a 1600s preacher and writer. He wrote um, The Pilgrim's Progress uh, and Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. I'd encourage you to read both of those books if you ever get a chance. But he had a view that I think some people in the church were very afraid of. And he said it this way, and you guys can read it on the screen. He said, There will be some strong saints. And he's not talking about people of the cloth, he's talking about people who have been regenerated by the power of God through faith in Christ there will be some strong saints in the next generation because the young men and women in my day are such gross sinners and when the Lord saved them by his mercy they would love him much because they had had so much forgiven (laughs) see this this is hard to talk about Because this is being willing to admit that God is at work even when we can't see it. Did you know that God is at work? Not just when we go somewhere. It's not that I go somewhere and I bring God with me to these people who don't know him. God is constantly working. And as Christ followers, we get to look and go, wow, God, I cannot believe you've been forming that person for that moment for you to reveal Christ to them. That's crazy. This is what he's talking about. So when we look in the culture, are we going, ah, hell in a handbasket? Or are we saying, man, if God would just reveal Christ to them, they would be the people that He's going to use as examples of grace so that the nations will know that Christ is who He says He is. That's what we're locking on to as Christ followers, and that's what we're walking in. And so this morning... We're going to conclude this first chapter of Galatians. We're beginning to see how Paul establishes the way the Christian life comes together, built on the good news and the good news all throughout. In 1 Corinthians, verse 15, Paul often would remind us of what was most important to him. And he said this, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. And in Romans chapter 1, very similar, he says, For I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Has Christ been revealed to you? Don't walk away. Child, teenager, adult, at Christ's being revealed, believe that He is the Rescuer. Put down your self-salvation plans and trust the plan of God for your rescue. Christ. We're going to close this morning and um, I'm going to ask some of our elders or our jail leaders, um, if you guys would just pay attention that there would be a place for you guys to be prayed for. And I don't know where your journey is at, and I don't know how comfortable you are with moving out of your chair, but it's something we do as Christ followers is we just pray for each other. And sometimes it's, you're like, ah, that's weird, I don't know about that, I don't want to move to anything. But if, if, if that would be you, and you're, you're, you're at this place where I just need someone to pray for me, I don't know what to say or do, I would just love somebody to pray for me. We want to make that available to you over here. And I'm going to be standing over here, and just unapologetically, if Christ has been revealed to you, and you're like, I don't know what to do now, I'd love to talk to you and pray with you. Because it's not just at the revelation of Christ, it says that by faith. So we're putting our trust in God's rescue plan, not in our own. And so if that's you this morning, I'd love to pray with you, talk with you whatever, if the journey needs to continue, and coffee or or something like that during the week, but yes. But I want you to know that at Highland, our, our desire is to build our lives upon the good news, and it's not just the front door, but it's the whole story. And so why don't you guys stand with me and we'll pray. Father, you are the one who works times and places and appointments out so that we might call out to you. And I ask that in this time that we would cry out to you. We're invited to. You, you, you invited us to. And so I pray that as your people, we would respond to that invitation. And we just cry out to you. It's in your name we pray.